Scott DeWicke, a Booz Allen Hamilton executive, says online payments processing is increasingly at risk and cyber attacks are becoming more sophisticated. Banking leaders are working to address online payments processing risks, but are they missing the mark? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and here, DeWicke offers his take. Scott, what are some of the greatest security challenges facing online payments today? Well, Tracy, thanks for having me. Um, I, I think the answer is clearly identity, identity, and identity. It's all about knowing your customers, your partners, their customers, maybe even their customers' customers. Also about knowing your employees. You know, without a mastery of identity, losses because of fraud, attacks, and resulting lack of confidence are going to constrain growth as uh, companies move into the space. Scott, would you say that banks or e-commerce merchants are at greater risk? Well, organized crime has developed an incredible array of relationships, tools, forums where they communicate, private marketplaces where they go and sell what they've stolen, whether it's PII, credit card information, whatever. And these are all enabling a global criminal enterprise. E-commerce merchants and banks store the most fungible commodity that is their target, you know, PII and payment card information. We've seen a lot of breaches, whether it's Global Payments or LexisNexis or Experian, who have been the target of these approaches, and they immediately go and then try to sell this information in these forums, and they're using uh, alternative payment systems as the lifeblood to fuel this economy. That's how they sell and receive value for their stolen information. So what would you say is the greatest worry for banking institutions as well as some of these e-commerce merchants? Is account takeover or DDoS a greater concern, or is it perhaps a combination of the two? Yeah, at the end of the day, the account is the customer, and the customer is the account. Without customers, banks and merchants die. So therefore, you know, I've got to say that account takeover should be the greatest concern. You know, you can counter DDoS attacks through technical means, prevention, awareness. Being able to uh, prevent account takeover, however, requires better identity management, especially user verification. Uh, too many companies today are relying on outdated and weak identity verification techniques such as CAPTCHA, you know, those strange little letters and such that are oftentimes kind of occluded that you're uh, trying to, to you know, decide what it says. They've actually come up with an artificial intelligence system that will let, you know, the system be beaten. Knowledge-based authentication in an age of social media sharing is a joke as well. There's so much information out there that you're going to be able to guess or learn about a person uh, well enough that you're going to be able to beat those uh, knowledge-based authentication access controls. And uh, in fact, that is believed to have been, uh, you know, what played a key role in the global payments fiasco, where they had, you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, credit cards numbers stolen and sold in these uh, underground economy marketplaces. At some point soon, multi-factor authentication, strong biometrics, probably facial recognition will begin to close the advantage that the criminals currently have, but you know, we're, we're behind the curve. What would you say about the security of payments processors? Are they taking adequate steps to ensure their own security? I, I don't think so. Quite simply, they're ignoring the criminal use of the shadow internet, this economy that's grown up that you know, has a ready marketplace to, to sell the information that they can steal from uh, you know, these, these reservoirs of PII and credit card information. Um, they need to understand that they have to be more proactive, both in understanding their customers, their customers' customers, uh, and um, you know, increasingly as they try to adapt in this new emerging payment marketplace, they're going to be making business relationships and building new supply chains, you know, value chains with uh, 
clients, customers, um, partners that they don't know who they are, they don't really understand their business models, they're going to be uh, globally dispersed, they're going to, some of them are going to be quite shady, and there's going to be immense pressure on them, on these processors to connect with these companies um, in order to get access to you know, the, the, the millions and millions and millions of new customers that are out there in this global marketplace. So they've got to lean forward. They've got to be more proactive in understanding these environments, understanding the risks, and figuring out how to adapt. The Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center recently conducted a panel session about what a cyber attack against an online payments process might look like. Is not knowing how to identify a cyber attack a concern for the industry, Scott? Well, really simply, you can't defend against that which you do not understand. We've spent, and I've personally spent a lot of time in online forums um, that criminals and other users of these systems, whether they be the criminal forums or online payment systems, which are often very anonymous and fuel this underground economy, you can learn a lot about what the attack vectors are, where the threats are coming from, much better than is currently being done. I mean, to understand this morphing, you know, quickly changing world where, you know, the threat vectors are changing based on how effective the defenses are. You've got to be able to adapt and, you know, being able to understand the motives and mechanisms that are being used lets you be more proactive. Right now, this industry is very reactive. That needs to change. Scott, would you say that more regulation or oversight from regulators as well as industry groups such as the FSISAC is something that's needed? Regulation can have a local effect, I think, right? Uh, and if it's an internally facing regulation where you're saying, hey, you've got to do a better job of identifying your customers, certainly that can have a positive effect. There are limits to how positive an effect regulation and uh, you know, new structures can have on preventing these types of criminal enterprises from being successful in penetrating your organization and attacking your customers. Because these systems are global in nature, uh, they don't need to reside in the country of the attack, obviously. Even the alternative, often anonymous payment systems are spread around the world and create conduits for siphoning that, that information out, for selling it, and then for transferring that value beyond the reach of you know, law enforcement. So there are limits. Certainly the FinCEN guidance on uh, treating digital currency exchangers uh, in the United States like MSBs, and it's the first real regulatory attempt on this emerging payment space uh, in the world, is having an effect, some positive, some negative. Um, certainly some of that is, uh, some of the negative is coming from a lack of understanding of what this industry really is like and what needs to occur to uh, put the proper limits um, in place. But at the same time, that will have a positive effect in uh, putting the, the limits in place on especially consumer use, uh, you know, people that want to use these anonymous payment systems to buy you know, dangerous items, whether they be you know, illegal drugs or weapons or things like that or you know, child pornography. Um, it'll make it more difficult, but it won't prevent it because people will be able to go outside the U.S and use the digital currency exchanges that are the ingress and egress points into the system without having to do it locally. So yeah, it'll have some effect, but you're not going to solve this through regulation. So what steps would you say, Scott, that banking institutions and others, such as payments processors, should be taking now where attack detection is concerned? Well, you've got to look at it from a different perspective, I think. There are a lot of ways to detect 
and determine if somebody is manipulating their identity coming in, uh, if they are who they say they are. Some of those solutions have been employed. Others haven't been, right? Some of the more uh, effective biometric systems have not been employed because of concerns about you know, people uh, not using them or, or neglecting them because of privacy concerns. Um, however, this kind of leaning forward that I was talking about, using a predictive intelligence approach to start to understand and research your adversary so that you can understand what types of approaches they might be using on you before they use them is something that isn't currently being done, as far as I can tell, at least not on any type of large scale. Being able to, you know, employ those same types of approaches and understand, hey, you know what, you need to understand the intelligence that's out there that you can gather about these groups, about these uh, attack vectors as they're being prepared. That will help you be able to defend yourself in a much more effective way than you're currently doing by just being reactive and trying to, you know, uh, put your finger in the dike, you know, as that hole develops. Well, you know what, it'd be nice if you could fortify the dike before it occurs so that they're not able to punch through. We've talked so much about information sharing in the industry, and it sounds like this is part of the area that would benefit here as well as big data. Yeah, big data. I mean, there's a lot of data out there that you can use to um, verify the identities of your, of your customers and also look for indicators that somebody is not who they say they are and that there might be information out there about uh, you know, people that are planning to do you harm. Um, I think it's all part of this predictive intelligence approach where you collect the data that you can out there in the places that um, you know, these people that are trying to do you harm are congregating and the, the places that they're using to sell what they've uh, been able to uh, gather or uh, prepare for the next attack. So using the data that's out there, call it big data, call it uh, open source, or a mixture of the two, uh, you know, I, th I think there is a legitimate way that you can use these systems you know, without impacting privacy or, or any other concerns like that. I mean, this is really about understanding your adversary and uh, being able to respond, well, I should say not only respond, but be proactive about it, right? And so how are emerging payments instruments, Scott, such as mobile, complicating payment security as well as compounding the risk? Mobile and internet-based payment systems both give you the ability to have access to huge new numbers of the world's customers, right? A billion plus unbanked, underbanked, that are becoming part of an economy for the first time where they can use these payment instruments. I mean, it's a huge carrot, and a lot of companies are responding quickly to this. There's competition, right? I mean, you've got the local providers that are uh, probably in a better position, but you know, as Thomas Friedman famously wrote, the world is flat. The Internet has made cybercrime the great equalizer, as well as being able to have access to these you know, billions of new customers. This has grown from what may still seem to many to be the traditional payments world and the, the dangers that they've presented by a collection of lone hackers into what really has become the threat presented by a global criminal enterprise. And so you've got to understand how that global enter enterprise, that global criminal enterprise, which is sophisticated, coordinated, and efficient, can impact your market plans to move into these international markets to deal with the unbanked, to deal with you know, remittance payments you know, using mobile platforms, using Internet-based platforms. And remember that these are now merging, right? I mean, Internet-based platforms and mobile platforms are becoming indistinguishable. They're really part of one 
spectrum. So that global network of alternative, often anonymous payment systems, such as you know the now defunct Liberty Reserve, but you know in its place we have Perfect Money, Web Money, Bitcoin, and other related companies that have really become an enabler for this ecosystem that is global in reach. Scott, do you see some of these alternative payment systems merging with existing point of sale systems at some point in the future? Absolutely, it's already happening. If you look at the market moves by PayPal, by Google, to get alternative payment systems accepted at the point of sale. I went to a Dollar General with my family recently, and there they had, at the point of sale device, right, right on the Veriphone device, they had PayPal accepted. You enter in your username and password, and you can pay directly from your PayPal account, you know, for your uh, box of Jujubes or whatever. Those types of merging of the alternative payment space, the internet and mobile payment space with the traditional point of sale marketplace is already happening and it's just going to accelerate. Um, another example I'll give, I was recently at the Money 2020 conference with uh, one of the guys who works for me and he went off with a bunch of his uh, libertarian Bitcoin crowd and they had a great time driving around Las Vegas uh, in a stretch limo that they paid for through their cell phones, through their mobile device. Uh, with Bitcoin. That's the future, and that's the way the people, the, you know, the young 20-somethings growing up today, they're expecting to be able to use their mobile device, their internet-enabled phone, to be able to do those types of payments, uh, very alternative payments, right, in real time, when they need to use them on a Saturday night when they want to go out partying. And that's the future, and it's now. And then finally, Scott, before we close, how would you say that the industry is collaborating to address some of these payment security risks from a global perspective? Quite simply, they're not. There's a huge opportunity for that type of collaboration, but it hasn't even started. We're in the middle of a, of a land rush where companies are predominantly concerned with just getting to market, grabbing customers, um, grabbing as many of them as they can, and they're going to worry about the security risks later. The problem is, in doing so, you're enabling a period of time where the, the criminal enterprises of the world, who have incidentally been using these systems quite effectively for at least 10 years, are having an opportunity to further extend that infrastructure that they're using to rip off your customers, to penetrate you know, your defenses and steal your information and sell it in this global marketplace. We're far behind our adversaries on this, and I think it's going to have a negative effect on the growth of this industry um, if there isn't some kind of collaboration and cooperation to try to limit the threats that are posed by the uh, use of these alternative, often anonymous payment systems. How much effect that collaboration and additional regulation could have? Um, I'm a little dubious over it just because of the, the predominant and pervasive anonymity that exists in this internet space and in this uh, alternative anonymous payments world. But you can have some effect and you can help uh, share the information to shore up your defenses. I think that's key. Scott, I'd like to thank you again for your time this morning. My pleasure. Again, we've just heard from Scott Dewicki of Booz Allen Hamilton. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.